a decade. We can use the D word the officially now. I've been holding off using that D word. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Bing! Slouchy. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty non-slouch right now. I'm, I'm about as slouch as it gets right here. That's, that's true. <laughs> it falls asleep halfway through. Plus it falls asleep, uh, <laughs> I'll smack them. It's due to, the, due to the slouching. So today, it's kind of a, a little bit of a special episode mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Uh, today marks 10 years. Yep. 10 years. I, I've been, is today the exact 10 years? What is the date? I don't know. Ninth, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's very close. Yeah. So this t- month for sure. Yeah. Early year. early May, uh, we decided to to go out on our own and and start start this company way back in two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. A decade. We can oh, use the D word. The decade. Officially now. I've been holding off using that we- D word. So today we're gonna be talking about a lot of the major lessons that we've learned over the last 10 years that you can only pick up by experience. Yep. Um, you know, not so much, I wouldn't say based in research, but, but yeah, based it's kind in of that combo, yeah, right? it's like I mean, a long-term mm-hmm. observational research, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of working with hundreds of athletes over the last 10 years. So of all ages, disciplines oh, yeah. i mean yeah yeah you, you name it we've probably seen it over the course of these past 10 years yeah so well they're somewhat a little mm-hmm. bit random mm-hmm. uh but all good all good uh little nuggets here mm-hmm. so i am coach dale sanford and i am coach bryant funston we are the co-founders of bpc performance coaching where we specialize in helping time crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance Every BPC coach is trained in our five pillars coaching system that has been developed over the last, officially now, decade. 10 years. There we go. Through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels, from fresh off the couch to world championship competitors. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com, checking Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete, or all up on it, Instagram at BPC Performance. Nailed it. Bam. I can I can put my phone away now. <laughs> now that I've read that, I can put my phone away. All right. Quick order of business. Yes, this is a big one. This is a big one. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard, if you've been living under a rock, Memphis is in the running for a new Ironman race in 2020. We want to make... One of four cities. One of four cities. We want to make damn certain mm-hmm. that we are as close to the top and get this thing here. Um, yeah, the so, only step on the podium that's acceptable yeah, is the, the, the top, top step. The top step. Yeah. So on Monday, May 13th, 2019, uh, they will be here at Shelby Farms Visitor Center for a site visit. That may give you a hint on where they're kind of thinking part of the course might go. Um, so they'll be here. They're saying 4 p.m. would be the absolute earliest. But if you are local, local triathlete, doesn't matter if you're a triathlete, runner, cyclist, they actually are adding in relay divisions now Ooh. to Ironman races. So cyclist, runner, triathlete, um, get down to Shelby Farms on Monday uh, evening and let's show. Get your slapper sticks out. Yeah. 
It's the Lycra Swarm. Yeah, the let's, Lycra. <laughs> let's do it. Get down swarm. there and let's show them uh, a warm welcome and and, yep. and show them how big the Mid-South endurance community really is. Yeah, it'd be huge for Memphis to have that. What, what is it? Uh, they, they estimate 10,000 people. You know? 2,500 to 3,000 athletes and 10,000 extra people. Uh, I think the Millions average economic dollars, in, yeah. impact is somewhere between tw- 10 and 13 million, as high as like 20-something mm-hmm. million. So, yeah, it's massive. It could be huge mm-hmm. for, for Memphis. So. Yeah, for sure. Get down there. Cool. All right. Now, on to more business. More business. Shout outs. Shout outs. So, big race weekend over in Nashville. Max Gander Criterium, Cedar Hill Criterium. Yep. Both have uh, sketchy corners in them. A little sketchy. Um, we, uh, and it was Sally, Sally Landham gets the, the, the Bad Mamma Jamma of the Year Award. She ended up going down in the first corner on the second day. Required... 10 stitches in her arm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we didn't know that till after, obviously. But I went over there and like, kind of fixed her bike back into shape. She's like, if you think I can ride this, I'm getting back in there. I was like, what? what? Are you serious? So she's got blood going everywhere, gets back in the uh, in the race, uh, actually nabs a preem. And uh, I was like, wow. Adrenaline. Tough as nails. Adrenaline, baby. Tough as nails. Uh, same race, uh, Lee gets top step of the Masters Women's Race. There you go. Um, but there was great results all around. Uh, and then my other shout-out, uh, Jeremy Matthews and Scott Stater. Strader? Stater? Stater, the tater. Stater. He, uh... Run 365. He, uh, nabbed his 50th... 50th state. State. Marathon. 50 marathons. In 50, 50 different states. Yeah. Huge accomplishment. I think Jeremy said, uh, like... There's only been like 1,500 people or so that have done that. Yeah. So really, is that the flying pig? The flying pig. Flying pig marathon Great name for a marathon. Yeah. So 50 states, 50 marathons. Awesome job, Scott and Jeremy. Um, I got one, Liz Hall, who uh, we've we've been talking about quite a bit, and we'll have her on the couch one day to talk about her progression uh, as a runner. But still hitting PR. So we hit a 10k PR uh, this weekend at the Coke. 10k in Corinth, Mississippi. It's kind of a, it's not really a small race, but it Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah, sorry, the Coca-Cola. Okay. 10k. <laughs> yeah, in Corinth, not in Colombia. <laughs> not in Colombia. So go. All right. So we got a, a quick good luck uh, to all of the athletes going down to um, Florida this weekend for Gulf Coast 70.3. We've got a couple going down. Um, so good luck, everybody. Race smart. Follow the plan, trust your training. Excellent. Let's jump to it. All right, so we'll kind of bounce back and forth here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to lay down these these nuggets, try not to elaborate too much, but um, I'll let you lead off there, Fussy. Yeah, I mean, like like Dale mentioned in the open, kind of the big goal here is to, to kind of give some of the wisdom that we've gained, and then hopefully you can apply this to your, to your own. Yeah. Strong word there. Yeah, it was. Uh, hopefully you can apply this to your own stuff. You know, it's so easy to get caught on like the micro level that kind of taking a step back and looking at kind of these overall themes and things that we've learned, uh, hopefully will will be, uh, helpful for folks. And I'd say one of the the biggest things that, uh, I have taken away from the past 10 years is that the perfect training plan is the one that works with the specific person and their lifestyle. Absolutely. Uh, one that keeps them motivated, keeps them training, keeps them consistent, um, and and doesn't 
uh, pull or, or uh, have negative impact on the other areas of their life, yep. but instead helps lift those up. So, you know, you can't have like, here's a pre-built plan for any one person if the goal is to really maximize that person's performance and build that around their life schedule. And that's why, you know, customized coaching yep. and taking all those areas into account um, is so big. The perfect plan is the one you can complete. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, the one that you see gains with and yeah, you can actually complete. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're not. Yeah. We have to keep this in the lens of an amateur athlete that has mm. a family or may not have a family, but, but has other social obligations, has a, has a job, you mm-hmm. know, working, you know, that's the kind of lens we're looking through. Not, yep. not the pro athlete who has all the time in the world, exactly. 28 hours to train, exactly. <laughs> to train <Yeah>. every week <laughs> uh, and sleep and eat and all that kind of stuff. So, exactly. um, you know, these are just things that we picked up, you know, you, you, you cannot. Yeah. I mean, uh, initially I thought it was like, here, here is what is I the feel work is, you a, gotta get done. is the work you have to get done. Yeah. Uh, but really if a person can't accomplish I that, think, how do you adjust it? How do you adapt it? I think a lot of new coaches fall into that because they, they, uh, they've only known maybe pre-built plans or something like that. And mm-hmm. so they, or what's worked for them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the, that's another big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good one. Good one. Uh, my first one would be almost one of the most important ones that I've, it took a while to kind of like uh, settle in was, you know, you, you only see this when you've been coaching somebody for like several years. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got some people that we've, what, seven years or six, seven years or more that we've been coaching yeah, straight been, on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't have to be married to a, a sport, a discipline within that sport, a distance within that sport, you can go and come back. The sports will be there for you. They're going to be there whenever. But if that, like, if that specific sport, like triathlon, a lot of times when you get a, when you have a life change happen, a job, a family, something like that sport may not fit your schedule anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, with triathlon, you're doing, you know, nine to 11 to 12 sessions a week or whatever. And that may not work for you. And it's okay to set that aside uh, and go to a single sport mm-hmm. for a while um, or try something new just because you want to. Uh, the, the idea here as an amateur athlete is to just keep moving forward mm-hmm. and keep improving yourself in something. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be stuck in one sport, one distance, one discipline exactly and it kind of goes back to that first one right if if 9 10 12 training sessions per week is not helping elevate other areas of your life and instead it's becoming a, a big stress creator right then yeah take that step back go to a single sport one of the major things that i've heard over the years that and this i didn't even write this down is is when for somebody who is a competitive minded person Mm-hmm. When you put together a plan of what they've said they can complete, but then all of a sudden life will not let them complete that, the, the amount of stress that that program puts on their their life is uh, more than you know the the workouts themselves. Like they just see it, they can't do it. It stresses them out to the mm-hmm. max to not be able to do it. So. Yep. Like you have to absolutely be honest with your available training time. Oh, for sure. This is another point that I put on. You have to be honest with your available training time so that you don't set yourself up for disappointment when you can't get 
all that training in. Yeah. And that's, that is definitely something we've learned over the years. It's like, yeah. uh, telling a person, we want to know like, what is the absolute for sure, you know, you can get in. Not like what's the, if all things go well and you pre-planned everything and everything's yeah. perfect and it's a good day and you're on top of your work, you know, maybe you can get 90 minutes then, but if things are going wrong and, and stuff pops up, what's the absolute minimum you can get? And if we know we, that that's, that's for sure, yeah. we can much better develop a plan for you. And then if you can get more, great. Um, but I think, you know, our first year or two was always like, <laughs> all right, here's, you need to do 90 minutes. 90 minutes yeah. is on there. You said you could do 90 minutes. Well, can you get, can you get maybe uh, two hours? Is there a way you could get two hours? Um, whereas now it's much more dialing it into a person's schedule. Yeah. And that changes. Mm -hmm. It's not, it may not be the same in January as it is in March. You know, like a thing that we see a lot is, um, one, everyone has a busy season at work. Mm -hmm. And once that busy season rolls around, their available training time may drop. You just got to adjust for it. Mm -hmm. The other thing is once school gets out, yeah. like, and your kids are at home all the time, it doesn't matter if you have a, you know, if you're working all the time or you're staying at home, you're busier because your kids mm -hmm. are always around. So like those are the times of years that you have to think about, uh, is my training time going to be less than it is while they're in mm -hmm. school? Like, and those know, first two weeks really are always the prime adjustment time. Right. You know, the first two weeks of that transition is yeah. always getting back into a new routine, new rhythm. Cool. What else I'm next. Uh, this kind of ties into what we've been saying, but life stress must be accounted for. Oh yeah. You know, we use training peaks. Training peaks is great at tracking training stress, but the, the one massive variable that does not show up under your weekly uh, stress load is your life stress. Yep. And if you're not sleeping, if you're not eating well, if you're stressed out at work, uh, if you're working long hours, if you spend a lot of time on your feet each day, if you're someone with a job that has you, you know, active and outdoors, all of that is stress that does not show up on training peaks. And as a coach, if all I'm doing is is basing your stress off of what I'm seeing on training peaks, then that is not taking uh, it's doing you a disservice, essentially. Sure. You know, that's not the that's not the load that your body is under. And we need to have ha balance that out. You know, we need to know a coach needs to know what their uh, athlete stress levels are in order to make sure you're adjusting the training stress accordingly. Like if I know someone's got a lot of stress happening in life and I'm expecting them to try to get a big training stress that same week, it's too much. So I need to scale down their training. Um, if this is something where, you know, the life stuff is taking a big priority, we got to scale it back. And that goes back to, you know, the first point, the perfect plan is the one that works around and, and helps elevate the person's life schedule or life rather than, you know, detract from it. And that's where the communication between the coach and the athlete has to be there. Uh, whereas the athlete has to say, you know, be perfectly honest, like work has been killing me this week, or mm -hmm. I had somebody in my family pass away or something like that to where, you know, the, the coach can then know, okay, this person is, one, probably not going to be able to get everything in. Mm -hmm. And two, this training needs to be converted into a stress reliever yeah. Uh, yeah. versus a stress, you know, a stress on the body. Yeah. I mean, that's, but you, you can't get that. You can't make those changes for them 
unless the communication is, is oh, there. Exactly. And if you're someone who, you know, does your own self-coaching, it's really easy to fall victim to that sure. as well. So be aware, you got to scale down your training stress if life stress is super high. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you're going to put yourself in a big hole and you're going to look at, well, I only did six hours last week. I don't know why I'm so beat down and worn down. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the life stuff. You got to account for it. Good. You're up. So the, the you know, the, we'll, we'll blow through this one real quick. Consistency mm. trumps everything. Mm-hmm. Staying on the field of play day after day, week after week, um, obviously taking rest when needed, but just continuing to do a consistent regimen mm-hmm. is going to benefit you more in the long run than any single workout, any single week uh, of training, any single event. If you just stay on the, the field of play, mm-hmm. something is always better than nothing, and you will... You may make slower improvements, but you're still going to be improving. Oh, for sure. It's like the, uh, I think we were joking about it last week, the, you know, in in the, in the finance world, that compounding interest where you do a little bit over a long period of time and it all builds on itself and multiplies and grows and expands. It's very similar with, with training, with nutrition. You know, so, so many people get on a training plan or, you know, dial in their diet and they're super, super focused with it. They do everything perfect for two weeks, yep. and they're not seeing the results. But this stuff takes time, and that's that can be a very frustrating part of this. But it goes back to what Dale just said: being consistent and getting the, those little things in, not skipping those workouts, not missing those workouts, even if it's not as much as you would like or think you should be doing. It's going to pay off down the road, and it may be. You know, you got to play the long game with this. It may be two years from now or three yep. years from now, um, but you play the long game, do the little things, and it's going to add up for you. I use the term compounding fitness all the time, mm-hmm. and you and it shows up the most in like the you know there's there's that guy in your or gal in your community of endurance athletes that is just fast mm-hmm. and. Like they don't look like they, you know, you don't know that they train a whole lot or whatever, but they're just fast because they've been training for 10, 20 years and mm-hmm. they just have this bank, mm-hmm. this banked fitness that they can pull from at any moment. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. so it goes a long way. Play the long game. Yep, for sure. Uh, my next one is you can do everything right and still not have a great result, which can be super, super frustrating. But sometimes you just have a bad day and true success, I feel like comes from, yeah, it's great if everything comes together, the training was there, you know, you're perfectly healthy, everything goes to plan on, on race day and you have a great result. That's, that's perfect. But I always like my athletes to judge their performance based on how much they got out of their body and whether or not they gave their best on that day. Absolutely. Because that's all you can really do, right? You can you show up with the fitness you have and all you can really do on race day is give your best. And if that's something you've done, that's something to be proud of. And, and sometimes it means making an on-the-fly adjustment when you're out there. You realize it's a bad day and it's like, okay, here's our plan B. You know, Here's what I'm going to do to make this day a success. Um, but know that not... There, this this sport and 
uh, is not always about being on a high. There's highs and lows. Um, there's highs and lows in races. Yep. And, you know, knowing that, you know, doing everything right and still having a bad day happens sometimes. And, and so just stay positive about it's it. It's the uh, uncontrollable, the three C's, mm-hmm. the uh, competition, the course, and the conditions. Exactly, yeah. You, you can't, those are things you can't control. And if one of those three things makes you have a lesser performance than you were hoping for, there's no reason to, to feel bad about it. It's out of your control. Mm-hmm. If, if you gave your best... Thumbs up. Two exactly. thumbs up. Especially from us, you'll get plenty of high fives. Two high fives. Four high fives. Six high fives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the next one, we've, we'll, well, again, we'll, we'll kind of go through this because we have have already two podcasts on it, which mm-hmm. uh, electrolyte replacement is huge. Yeah. Massive. So if you, if you want more on that, you can go back a couple episodes uh, on... Sweat sodium testing, and then we had one, actually the first episode on how to avoid the uh, the old heat beat down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been massive though, like that, like f- as far as a game changing, performance changing, uh, science based thing, like it's huge. It may play such a big role in yep. your performance. So don't don't under you know don't underestimate it. Yeah, and I think this kind of ties into one of the things I was uh, uh, had down is. There's so much more to coaching. Pain train. Pain train. There's so much <laughs> There's so much more to coaching than just the training program. That was a good one. Woo! I think that might be the best train we've had. Yeah. But there's more to to coaching than just the training program. When I first began coaching, I was like, coaching is about writing the training plan yep. that gets them to race day in, in the best fitness they have but there's so much more to it than that there's absolutely there's technique there's efficiency there's race strategy there's nutrition you know all the the five pillar stuff we talk about um and having that communication with your athlete and making sure they're improving in all areas is something that drives performance not necessarily just focusing on what is the training and even the recovery i mean recovery is super huge it's uh yeah i mean the 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 training plan itself is just a portion mm-hmm. and there's so many other areas that you can make improvements in. Even if you did the same exact, like no plan at all, just doing the same exact thing week after week. And we touched on a lot of the other areas. Mm-hmm. You could still make improvements yeah. in those alone. So yeah, don't, don't, don't think that your plan is the only thing that's mm-hmm. going to make you a better athlete. Yep. And that kind of ties into that electrolyte thing you were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my big things is, you know, since a lot of our a lot of our athletes are, um, let's say, forty plus, forty five plus, mm-hmm. um, you know, very determined, successful people in their own right. Um, but like the the lesson here is, it's never it's never too late to start. Oh, like sure. getting into endurance sports or you know, Don Campbell, one of our uh, athletes is a, uh, a great example. When he started riding, a, he started riding a bike at it was late, later 50s, yeah. 55 or something. Um, and now it's a huge part of his life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he's, and, he's lifting more weight now than he did at any other point in time yeah. in his life. Don's a big, Don loves getting under a bar. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another example that I like to use is is John Rollins. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this was early on when we were doing a lot of running a lot of running mechanics work. John Rollins was training for the Senior Olympics. He was 74 years old and came to us. I mean, I guess I was 25, 26 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, came to came to us to teach him how to sprint, how yep. to run. But you know, he was doing the 200, right? He was doing well. He was doing the the 100. He was doing the 100, the 800, and the 5K. That's right. So he wanted to learn how to kick better and oh. to sprint. And so um, he had never really learned. He, he had got, he hadn't even, he gotten into running kind of later in life, but he wanted to learn how to, to do those skills better. And you would mm-hmm. not necessarily think that somebody at 74 years old would want to learn how to sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's never too late. You can oh, exactly. you can learn skills. You can gain fitness. You can change your entire uh, you know health, wellness, and and athletic performance at any age. Yep. I mean, it's just a start. The point. worst thing you can do is is say I'm too old, or say you know the time's not right. Maybe next year. Yeah. Like I'm gonna get into shape first before I start getting serious about something. Yeah. Like everyone starts somewhere and we've worked with people who are, you know, brand new beginners. That's a great time to work with someone because they haven't developed a lot of bad habits yep. and you can safely take them through those initial steps, making sure they're not overdoing it yep. and put them on a plan that's going to allow them to, to grow and develop and be patient with that development. Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm going with endurance athletes still hate Strength, stretching, and recovery. <laughs> is that a new? Is that a lesson learned over time? Lesson learned. It's just a confirmation. Actually, oh, okay. this is just a confirmation yeah. over the past ten years. Yeah, and it's I, been brutally confirmed. Oh yeah, I think one of the big things is, um, you know, it's tough to like go back and look at the injuries that didn't happen right, exactly. from doing yeah. that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the preventative work. You don't you don't necessarily see it as an immediate benefit anywhere. Yep. You know, when you see like say say someone on the bikes getting their power numbers are increasing. In an endurance uh, person's mindset, it's because of the structured intervals sure. they're doing, the training on the bike. It's not the auxiliary stuff, but we we don't know how many times we don't get injured because we're doing the stretching. We're doing the foam rolling. You know, we're taking our rest days. Uh, we're doing our strength work. All those things have a huge uh, impact on a person's overall performance and just general well-being. Um, but it's it's so hard to like attribute your performance to that, and a lot of people uh, I think neglect that as a result. But it's one that we're going to keep trying to beat into people's minds. Just keep beating the dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to stop. So. Uh-huh. Uh, might as well get on it. Because it's so good for you. Yeah. All right. This is a, a little bit specific, but kind of what I've realized over the last several years is that m- most for amateur triathletes, the ones with jobs and families and stuff like that, um, you know, you're you're talking like most can only average like between 10 and 13 hours of training mm-hmm. without having the training take away from something else. Um, so generally speaking, when you're doing 
you know, that still fall, take 10 to 13 hours. A lot of times falls into, can fall into that half iron distance mm -hmm. uh, training plan with an occasional higher week uh, during the biggest volume. But, it, you know, it's just kind of like when you get into that iron distance training and you have a, a really big amount of time or, or a big cycle that's above 13 hours, that's where, you know, sleep may take a, a backseat or some social obligations, social things take a backseat. And that's where like things get imbalanced in your yeah. life. Mm -hmm. And then somehow they're going to have to rebalance at some point. Uh, so that's kind of kind of where like a lot of times that that Ironman hangover comes in where they you've been imbalanced for so long mm -hmm. you love it you enjoy it but you've been imbalanced for so long something has to rebalance and then you go like this yeah the scales the tip the, tr the training no. gets dropped out a ton and then mm -hmm. you know so just keep in mind like if you're a competitive person and you're in that like 10 to 13 hours range, um, trying to go too much above that, generally speaking, is going to make tip the scales a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually it's going to have to rebalance. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone with, you know, with a family, with kids, communication there is huge. Like, yeah, you know when the bigger volume's coming. Oh, yeah. Talk that out in advance. Make sure your significant other knows that that it's coming. Yeah. Uh, even map it around. You know, at what time in our uh, in our schedule is that going to be best? You know, do we yeah. need to delay it a week? Um, but making sure the communications there with your spouse is huge, so they're not uh, wondering when it's all going to end and why you're now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's, burning I've it, seen it, burning it through, you I've know, seen it. 18 hours a day or whatever and, and feeling like they are being neglected. Yeah. Anytime so. I do a long course or working with a long course athlete, like there's always the goal race, right? So mm -hmm. I always go backwards and plan and I'll put in where the, the, where these biggest volume weeks are going to be ahead of time mm -hmm. and about what the weekends, roughly what the weekend's going to look like. You know, things will change along the way, but this is where they're, if everything goes to plan, these, this is where they'll be. This is the distances and time and stuff like that so that people can like plan ahead. And if yep. they need to plan with their family or you know, take off work or whatever, like yeah. sometimes that happens. Pair to, it with a vacation. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah like, um, you know, for, so that they can plan ahead because it, it takes some of the, the like life load mm -hmm. off when you can plan ahead for those massive weekends. Mm-hmm. So, all right, next one I'm going to do kind of ties into that, uh, but more so like communication and paying attention to the motivation of your athlete. Oh yeah. So one of the biggest driving things, um, you know, cause every athlete handles a training load differently. Mm -hmm. Every athlete has different life stress. Um, and one of the things that I've learned these past 10 years is you, you got to have the communication going. Um, but you really need to be paying attention to the motivation of the athlete. And there's going to be, you know, ups and downs as far as that is concerned. But that's one of the first things I look for when it comes to, is an athlete doing too much? You know, are they, are they being stretched too thin? Is their motivation, as soon as that motivation really starts dipping in a, you know, hobby or sport that they, they really enjoy when they get to the point where they're like, I don't want to ride my bike. Like, this yeah. is feeling like a job. Yeah. Something's causing that and figuring out what that is and adjusting a program to 
to maybe back things off, give them less yeah. structure, keep the motivation up, um, is something that keeps an athlete doing it for a long period of time um, and enjoying the sport uh, versus someone who gets to their goal event and says, whew, I'm glad that's over yeah. and I'm done. Balancing is a good point. Like balancing, one thing that we, that kind of came on over the years was balancing more of the structured stuff with the fun stuff. For sure. Not necessarily even unstructured versus structured, but like like balancing in group runs and group rides mm-hmm. and and stuff like that that's more social. That's really the reason why most people get into these sports anyways. Mm-hmm. You can't take that away from them, you know, and expect them to just continue to train, 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 train. So that was kind of one thing that over the, the years that we got really good about uh, balancing in the, the weekly group rides and the, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Cause before it was like, they were doing them anyways. And then it's just unaccounted training load that was oh, like blowing training. out, a, you know, blowing yeah. out a week of a program. Um, and then you have to back, you know, kind of figure out, you know, work mm-hmm. around that extra training load. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, working that stuff in has been a, a big, mm-hmm. a, a big, lesson over the last few years and and kind of going along with this just kind of as a practical thing practical thing here um i've found most people when you start getting super specific with the training relative to the sport you know six weeks has been about kind of the the tops maybe eight weeks where people are able to handle that that very structured you know where every workout's kind of dialed in specifically towards it maybe you're foregoing the uh you know, the group ride, the fun stuff, um, in, in order to really get that last level of performance. But like six weeks is about the most that mentally I've found, uh, my athletes can handle. Yeah. Like eight max, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple, couple of week long or mm-hmm. month cycles. Um, you know, on the same topic, I would say that you like people can, tr- can train consistently without having like big goals, like a Mm -hmm. big race or something like that, as long as like the little ones that they set mean enough to them. So Mm -hmm. like, again, we'll go back to Don. Don's a huge, Don's a big example here because Don doesn't really have goal races Mm -hmm. or anything like that. He's training to, we'll say age gracefully and keep up with his grandkids. And those things mean more to him and those are the things that get him out of bed to do the the morning training sessions and everything. Um, so you don't have to set, you don't have to be doing a, an Ironman or a century mm-hmm. or anything like that. You don't have to do a sprint race, but as, but as long as the goals, the things that you have, the motivators mm-hmm. uh, mean enough to you, you you can, you will train consistently, mm-hmm. but you have to keep those always at the forefront mm-hmm. or, you know, you, the motivation just goes. Yep. Yeah. There's no reason to get up. Like, why are you going to get out of bed and do it if there's yeah no reason for you to? One more. What do you and got? This, this is just a uh, a thing that kind of we've picked up on mm-hmm. over the years with with cyclists and triathletes. Uh, I would say most cyclists and triathletes spend way too much time not pedaling. <laughs> So those group rides. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're in your race, especially triathlon, you are, it is nonstop. The, the bike leg is nonstop. Uh, you know, you, it's A to B. Um, so like spending upwards of 30% of your long ride, you know, even if you're doing a three to five hour ride, spend 30% of that over an hour of that time 
not pedaling is not getting specific enough to mm-hmm. your to your goal event. And so, if you're time crunch, that's wasted time. It is. So, you know, how can you make sure that you're pedaling uh, enough? Like when you're going downhill, don't coast. Mm-hmm. Go to a bigger gear and keep pressure on the pedals. Uh, I would say if you're in a group ride, do more pulling. Mm-hmm. Get on the front, do more work. Or if you're um, maybe not as strong as everybody, you can get f- just far enough enough off the back that you have to work a little bit, um, but you have to keep pedaling. So if the group slows, you have time to break and everything, but you can you can you kind of have to keep working as long as the group mm-hmm. is keep working. But it, people within that group are some are coasting, some are yep. you know as the rotation yep. happens or anything like that. But you off the back since you're kind of out of the draft have to have to keep pedaling and keep mm-hmm. working. So yep, for sure. trying to get that time spent not pedaling down below 20%, 15% mm-hmm. um, is like key for building specific fatigue resistance. So that's just a, a goal. Like early on, didn't pay any attention to it. People go out for five hour rides, spend two and a half hours not pedaling. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, work on that five hour ride. And then they underperform on, yeah. on race day. So that's one thing to, to watch. All right, my very last one is like over the past 10 years, you know, we've talked about a lot of the stuff that we've learned, but I think one of the exciting things about being a coach is that it seems like every day, every week, there's still more stuff that we're learning and more stuff to be learned. And with uh, increasing technology, there's more and more data that we can analyze. And so it's a, it's an exciting you know field for us to be in. And I'm, I'm thankful for all the awesome athletes that we've uh, gotten to work with over the years. I'm excited about all the athletes in the future that we're going to uh, be working with. Absolutely. We're not going anywhere. Hope not. Not going anywhere. Keep, <laughs> keep, keep learning as an athlete and we'll mm-hmm. keep learning as coaches. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're here to help. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. We appreciate you guys hanging out, watching, listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Hopefully, uh, if you're a local, we'll see you on Monday and we can uh, make sure this Ironman Memphis happens in 2020. All right, folks. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Adios.